literally an institution in this town of digging up old photos, old stories, collections, everything you can imagine under the sun about this great city. Greasy spoons, dives, old clubs. If you love this city, you're going to love it even more. Real people, real stories, real places. This is the Austin Found Podcast. Welcome back to the Austin Found Podcast. I'm J.B. Hager. And I'm Michael Barnes. From the Austin American Statesman. It is quiet in the suburbs. In the wake of disaster, you and members of your family are entering upon your own experience in survival. In your own home shelter, pre-stocked with food and water supplies, enjoying certain comforts denied those who will live out this period in a public shelter. I'd carefully prepared for an emergency such as this. A variety of canned and packaged foods. Everything from meats to vegetables, soups and milk. In fact, various kinds of beverages, packaged goodies for the youngsters. You might remember a time, if, if you're old enough or you've seen it in movies or read about it in history books and that is the threats in the 50s and 60s and the fear of nuclear attack it was every day uh if you're my age you probably had nightmares about it constantly we knew that the uh, russian rockets or maybe red chinese as we called them then rockets could deliver atomic bombs to uh, cities in Texas. And we lived in total fear of that. And somehow, I got to know how you found this guy. You found a resident, Craig Denham, in Rollingwood. Yes. That has a not just a bomb shelter, which did happen in that time. People who could afford it and had the fear were doing it. But this is not just an ordinary bomb no, shelter. This, no. this was preserved... <laughs> unopened for 50 years it was in pristine condition just as it would have been in 1960 he took the stuff out and cleaned it up and then one of the previous owners i think it only had two previous owners one was the colonel who built it but i think the immediately uh previous owners uh had just locked it up you know just so that it wouldn't be a, a danger to neighborhood kids he being very much into mid-century modern atomic age stuff and mm-hmm. as so many people are which <laughs> i am as well yeah I, i'm really big on this stuff yeah he had to get inside it and he was just astonished it uh, had literally been unopened for 50 years so this is like do you probably remember when um Geraldo Rivera opened up the Capone's vault. He yeah. did that whole thing, I and it was a live. Keep in the stuff. <laughs> it was a it was a live TV event, right? And, and there, was, there nothing. was nothing. There was like glass bottles in there. What's anyway. amazing is is just how incredibly claustrophobic it is. I mean, you can imagine because there's no uh, no windows or anything, but it's a small space and was supposed to be for a whole family. There was all kinds of. You know, crackers and other kinds of of food that that, uh, was supposed to get you through the long period of time when radiation would be surrounding your house. Um, The trouble is that almost everybody said, who was an expert, that the radiation would still be there weeks, months, years later. We know a little bit more about that now. We do. We know now. They thought it was a two-week supply would be plenty. Right. And you'd come out fresh as a daisy. Mm Mm-hmm. In fact, there was a movie about that 
and it's available online. It is about Austin as a potential site for an atomic attack. Uh, he told me about this, Craig Denham, who owns the pristine uh, shelter in, in Rollingwood. And you can watch it on, I think it's called uh, the Museum of Moving Images. It shows a normal traffic-y day in Austin around 1960. And then, you know, you have the mushroom cloud. And mm-hmm. there's three storylines one woman who's very skeptical about it all is in her office building and she goes down to the basement and she's complaining because she's uncomfortable. At the very end, she comes out like into angelic light and, and is happy. Another guy, a businessman, decides he's going to outrace it and gets in his car and goes out into the hill country and then just drops dead. Oh, yeah. I know. And then there's this nuclear family, no pun intended, who... You know, they have a checklist, and they're very efficient, and everybody's smiling and getting into the fallout shelter. And then two weeks later, they come out. She's wearing the same dress and pearls. Mm-hmm. And of course. they come out <laughs> to just a beautiful day It's all Austin. fine. It's all fine. Having been in one of those, an hour in it would drive me crazy, but two weeks. Oh, wow. Now, I want to hear more details of what was in there. Before we get to that, the colonel that had built it, yes. uh, Evie Robnett, supposedly bought a lot of these materials at Bergstrom. But when you think about it, you go, here you have a, a military colonel who's probably has enough information mm-hmm. <laughs> about the real threat right. that feels the need. It's one thing if you've yeah. got a doomsday prepper who's just... Right. Lives in fear. Uh, This is a military person with a lot of information. Yeah. Well, that threat was real. Yeah. We were, you know, 10 seconds from apocalypse at all times back then. Mm. And sometimes you'd forget it. And a lot of people have forgotten it now. But it it was terrifying. And he was able to make that. He sounds like a real character. For instance, he had guns down there. And he told all the neighbors, don't come knocking. (laughs) <laughs> right, because <laughs> I'm going to come out shooting. Well, and what neighbor would want to be down there in that tiny little hole in the ground? <clears throat> wow. Now, some of the things that uh, I'll let you describe them better. I, and I, you know, there's there was water. There was like one light bulb that mm-hmm. he restored that to work. A periscope to mm-hmm. see out from the bunker. Right. Right. Was that functioning? I didn't see anything from it, so yeah. I don't. I can't remember if it was functioning. This was several years ago when I wrote this story. Yeah. A Geiger counter. Yes, you needed that. To, to measure radioactivity. Exactly. And I didn't even know what a dosimeter is. Now I've forgotten what it is. It's to measure radiation on a person. Oh. Uh, there were civil defense manuals, gas masks, of course. Mm-hmm. That's what we pictured. First aid kit. Uh, and food. Yeah. Now, the food <laughs> is interesting because, I mean, well, for one thing, they had paper plates decorated with images of cartoon characters like Dennis the Menace. <laughs> Keep the kids happy for that yeah. two weeks. Yeah, there were no video party. games. It's a picnic. <laughs> uh, Florient spice air deodorant, which I'm imagining you would need because everybody was doing their business there. A tin of four three four survival crackers, cans of multi-purpose food is what it was called MPF. They probably bought all this stuff at oh, the base yeah, at the, here. At the uh, a PX. At yeah, the yeah. Base. A Sanka Coffee Mate, Lipton Ice Instant Tea, Instant Maxwell House Coffee, hmm. Sterno Matches, Candles, Batteries, Metrical. Do you remember Metrical? No, or, I no? don't. That just 
icky stuff that came in a can that was had was pumped with nutrients and so, so it was space age Seago was another brand. Oh, these are all before your time. <laughs> <laughs> is this a food or a medicine? Uh, no, it's a food. Well, food-ish. <laughs> yeah. But they, they were supposedly diet drinks. You had one oh, at lunch okay. instead of... Uh, and everything back then, this was so odd, and we, we revolted against it, but our, our parents embraced it. Everything back then was about you know, making food into something that didn't look like food at all you know <laughs> that was freeze-dried Every, everything was freeze-dried right or it was concentrated and put in a pill or it was in a little tiny can and it never tasted really that good it certainly <laughs> didn't taste like the ingredients but yeah this 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 fallout shelter had a lot of that wow and then i'm very intrigued by the map that was mm-hmm. on the wall and showing Texas targets. Yes, and uh, showing where the wind would blow the radiation, what direction, except that it was in the wrong direction for the prevailing winds. It depends, it depends on the time of year as well, too. Well, that's true, too. But our prevailing winds during a, a large part of the year are coming from the Gulf. Yeah. And so, anyway, the, the map was wrong in my <laughs> mind. But it was fascinating, and it really was a look into a world that I had barely remembered, because we did the duck and cover, and we had the we had the the siren that did you do drills in school? Yeah, yeah. And we had yeah. This, the sirens that went off at noon every Friday. And what was the uh, school's plan? If uh, there was a nuclear fallout, it was, was, was your desk going to protect you? Yeah, oh, psh, right. <laughs> you know, it, it it wasn't really a plan. It was it was theater to make people think that that you were getting things done, that you had some protection, mm-hmm. that you you might survive, and and then they didn't even think through: Would you want to survive? Right. You know, in right. in in, in, a, in a, if your city had been the target, of it'd a be better attack. to be closer to ground zero, right? <laughs> in some ways, yeah. yeah I mean the yeah. the the horror of radiation sickness uh, is just, and it, it it lasts for years for some people. And now Craig Denham, the owner, and I believe he's still the owner. Probably you haven't talked to him. In a few I years, haven't talked but, to him, but it could be. Yeah, no, he he, uh, really, he really wanted to preserve that place. Yeah, so. it, we'll get to that in a second. But he believes this was modeled. This bunker was modeled after one in Zilker Park. Right, and that one's still there too. Where is that? It's right next to the Zilker Caretakers Cottage, which is. Very near the playground, above Barton Springs Pool. Okay. So if you think you're you're walking towards the playground mm-hmm. along the Zilker Ziffer, yeah, that's railroad. where you load in, right? You, yeah. You go by which you is never not saw right this caretaker's cottage there before because it was surrounded like bamboo. Okay. But they've recently spruced it up and made it into something that can be used. But several generations of caretakers lived in that cottage. We'll do an episode on that sometime in the future. Because yeah. I got to interview three of the families that lived in that house. Oh, wow. There was a demonstration, a fallout shelter there, you know, federal money. And so you could go and see how you could build your own. It was like a showroom. It was like a showroom. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Pretty scary. And they have it really well locked because they don't want any disasters to happen to people who decide to go crawling around in it. You know, my wife and I looked at a, at a house just a couple blocks off Congress, mm-hmm. uh, just west of Congress in Soco area that mm-hmm. had a bomb shelter in the oh, front lawn. Wow. I mean, oh, I know where that is. It's like just two blocks off. Yes, yes. And the, they had a horrible time getting that out. 
Why you know, did they take it out? Um, well, they were they're building houses on that. Oh, lot. okay. A I think I know homes. what you're talking about. Yeah, it was it was a small Euclid's, home. Euclid. Yes. Yes. Our very good friends, the Hermans, live right next door. You know, we were we were looking at it as an investment property, and I which. Uh, <laughs> I should bring. I need to bring that up with her now. Yeah. <laughs> Remind her that how great that would be to have right now. I just saw a man cave. I was not like Craig Denham going, "Let's preserve." I just mm. saw like, oh, oh play right. video games down here, right. you know. Right. But it was it was a bomb shelter. Yeah. But I think you know those homes were not. They were built much earlier than. Oh that. yeah, now that neighborhood, probably 1940s, possibly some of those 1930s, beautiful wooded pasture land. Yeah. Another really neat thing about Craig, I'd like to meet this guy someday, is he's he's working to get it distinguished as a historical marker so right. that he wants to preserve that. And right. and as a mid-century <laughs> lover, especially the atomic ranches and things mm-hmm. like that, they're they're getting mowed down right and left right. Uh, throughout Austin. It pains me sometimes, you know. So, in fact, have you ever written about the architect A.D. Stanger? A.D. Stanger, yes. Oh, oh my yeah. gosh! Like those homes. I mean, they just need to be preserved, and that. Well, and they also need to be updated. They're hard to live in. Right. Um, they they are very narrow. Often, they don't have the kind of room or the kitchens that you'd expect. Mm-hmm. So, several very gifted current architects have found ways to update Stanger's and keep homes. some integrity. And the other right. ones are those that taught at the university during the fifties and sixties. Mm-hmm. Lots of beautiful ones over in the Balcones area. Mm-hmm. Lots of them over in Barton Hills. Yeah, preserving those is crucial. There's a lot of them out in Western uh, Trails, which I just did a story. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, that's a great story. Actually, yeah. uh, probably a year ago. No, I did a story about Western Trails, and they're all... Western Trails is, is just south of Ben White, Central Austin. Right, it's right behind Central Market S- South, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. which is the big neighborhood headquarters you know as if i lived there i'd be walking there every day <laughs> right right well anyhow i, I commend him for doing his yeah. part to preserve well, that I'll, and I'll, just I'll look like, him up and see what's up oh i'd love to see this it yeah. sounds so so amazing well thanks for tuning in to the austin found podcast and we appreciate you writing in to us we love your feedback Keep doing that yeah we love it we love it we love it michael's much better about writing back to everybody than i am <laughs> i'll be honest uh but here's one that came in from Lindsay, Lindsay oland and uh, she said, I'm really enjoying these stories. Wish Molly Ivins was here to interview. Uh, I wish we could interview anybody. But I we know. have to wait until the pandemic crisis is yeah, over. Yeah, I know. That will be fun to have uh, interesting guests. And, and she goes on to say, in that vein, here are some uh, people I'd love to hear more about to appreciate the fullness and complexity of Austin's history that affects us now. I'll just throw some of these names out. Nelson Linder of the NAACP. Yes. John Hansen, KUT's Black in America host. Bo McCarver, Blackman Community Development Corporation. Any local historians on the indigenous communities in and around Austin's rich history? That's exactly what we're interested yeah. in. And we'll have them on the show. We'll get there, we promise. <laughs> we'll get there as we're five months into the Keep pandemic. telling people about it, and our, the podcast will continue, and we'll keep building that audience for these guests. In the meantime, yeah, we do appreciate you guys tuning in. We can see that the number's going up every week. It's obvious that when when you guys discover the show, you go through the whole library. Yes. 
take some time and share it on your socials if you don't mind. And you can write us at mbarnes, B-A-R-N-E-S, at statesman.com. Or jhager, H-A-G-E-R, at statesman.com. And not J.B. Hager, J. Just J. Hager. And pick up your copies of Indelible Austin. And the story we just shared with you is out of Volume 2, in case you're wondering. Thanks for tuning in.